leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. This is Renee Small. We are back with another breaking edition, a special edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity with Dr. Dan. We are live with Dan again. I'm Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter. Happy to be back here speaking with you all this Monday, this hot Monday in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, my co-host, Chris. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey, everyone. And Dr. Dan, say good morning to everybody, Dr. Dan. Good morning for old timers that have been on this show with us and uh, anybody who's come on new. We have a great time today. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the old timers. I think we're we're at week, what, 10? I have to start putting the numbers to these episodes, but we've been on for quite a while yep. talking about different topics. And today our topic is going to be focused on um, mistakes. So Dan always talks about how there's money and mistakes. And one of the things that I, I thought about when prepping for this this morning with Dan was that my buddy Namdi, he created a video, which is hilarious. It's on my, I posted it yesterday. And he talks about ransomware and how on average, 84,000 in 2019 companies on average spent $84,000 in ransomware. And I was sharing that with Dan and also talking about the Twitter um, situation that happened last week and saying, you know, what mistakes did the clients make before, you know, they became your client? Like, is this an $84,000 mistake that people are making on average, um, companies making on average? So Dan, so you, you imagine that you or uh, if you're the CEO or the CFO of a company, uh, that you go to your board of directors and say, I'm going to go to Vegas with, an eight, with, with a pocket full of $84,000 and I'm going to take a dice and I'm going to roll a dice on $84,000. And what kind of response would you get? Well, my question also is, um, how many people are actually rolling the dice on these type of things when by engaging with the right cybersecurity professional with the right strategies or have the right team together could avoid that. And so, you know, everybody today says that what we sell is solutions. Everybody will tell you they sell solutions. Well, to me, it makes sense that if you buy the mistake before you make it, and don't make the mistake. You don't have to pay for the solution. But it's getting people to think about that. Now, any, I'm, I've been doing uh, interactions with people on marketing strategies on how to sell mistakes for a long time. Uh, we're going to be putting together a podcast on selling mistakes. And so it's, once again, how much money is there in mistakes? So I think that, you know, we, we talked about this for weeks with Renee. What mistake does somebody make 
by not calling Renee. I don't know how much money are they rolling the dice on? I mean, where, where are you going to get um, a cybersecurity professional with, on, on the level that she operates? And same with Chris. So it's uh, people to, just to look at things differently. And the, the interesting thing is, is that, and I will be, anybody who emails me with mistakes in the subject bar, I will send them the list of mistakes that my clients made before they became my client. So, you know, uh, a, a recent example is a uh, said to an attorney, I said to him, give me, give me a story. And he said, well, he said, I had two guys form a partnership um, 15 years ago on a handshake. And a partnership is coming apart. And it's costing his client $350,000 to get out of that partnership because he didn't have any legal documents putting it together. So it seemed like a good idea in the beginning, wound up not to be. And so when you look at your situation, whether it's internal clients or external clients, if you're a private consultant, um, there's a way to put this information together that's very attractive to somebody who may either retain you or, or, or hire you or whatever they need to do to make sure that they're not rolling the dice. And one of the things to think about, whether it's an internal client or an external client, um, the $84,000, A, it's an average, but B, when you're recommending a way to mitigate, to fill those gaps, um, think about more than just the technology or the process that you're going to change. You have to think about the business as a whole and how these controls will affect them. Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, just patch that server or um, upgrade that system. But um, it's another thing to truly implement it without negatively affecting the business. How do you mean negatively affecting the business, Chris? Well, uh, for example, protecting from data loss could mean um, putting together a, a data loss prevention system. And that would, in theory, block sensitive data from leaving the organization. Well, some of that sensitive information might be a proposal that you're sending to your client. And now your data protection system is blocking your proposal from going out. While it's protecting sensitive information from leaving the organization, it's also inhibiting the business at the same time. That, that sounds like that would require some interesting design of a system. It does, and that's where cybersecurity professionals have to both understand the technology as well as the, the use cases from the business to ensure that when they're implementing or recommending a solution, that they can do both. Danielle says testing offline before going online. Yes, testing is very important. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, I... I think about cybersecurity professionals as a whole and just companies, and especially from an HR and recruiting perspective and understanding the talent side, and even talking to some of the folks that you and I have been in touch with, some of the leaders that you and I have been in touch with over the last couple months. And you think about what kind of mistakes the, the, the if you think about it from a hiring perspective or a transition perspective, you know, what kind of mistakes are being made 
in regards to bringing on talent? What's the money in the, the gap in the time that it takes to bring a person on or the people that you lose in the period where, you know, when, when hiring drags out or, you know, responses aren't moved quickly or all the different things that we've been experiencing over the past couple months. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's interesting, you know, um, when you can get, most people are operating on the same ground level but I think when you can get a thousand foot view of everything that's going on and, and look at everything comprehensively, you know, you have you have the human factor in, in mistakes that are made within a company. Uh, you have management strategies. How do you manage effectively? Um, how does how does somebody identify mistakes that have been made in the past by and this is not this want to be very clear, this is not mistakes that our listeners have made that we want them to talk about. We want them to talk about mistakes their clients made before they came to them. Why somebody said, I'm ditching my cybersecurity profession. I'm going to hire Chris. Or I'm ditching the person who recruit, who was recruiting for me and, and retained Renee. Why are they doing that? When people came, they said, well, I came to you because this, this, and this happened. Or they may not tell you that, but I think it's really important to understand what gets in the way. When, when you're advising from a company perspective on hiring to avoid those mistakes, like bringing on Renee's of the world, um, well, there's only one, but um, how, do you, how do you advise them to, be, to do that in a progressive manner? You mean bring people on? Proactively, I, yes. I, I think I would say if one of the biggest mistakes that cybersecurity professionals or recruiters could have is not to have a competency model. Uh, they hire, I use my law, my law firm example. I had a client who was expanding their law firm to put in three or four other divisions. And I said, what are you doing now? She said, we're recruiting people. We're interviewing lawyers for these positions. I said, well, what are you interviewing them for? She said, well, their experience. I said, I would want to interview them for their dream. What's your dream? Uh, I want to go to a company. Where do you want to be? Show me your organ. And I do this with private clients. Show me your organizational chart. Tell me mm -hmm. where you want to be. You just got this job now. I said, I don't want to talk about the job right now completely. I want to talk about where you want to be in two, three, four years. And how you're going to get there? It may be in that company, may not be in that company, maybe somewhere else. But the point is, is there's a system to moving from where you are to someplace else. And I read something just recently that whatever skills and talents got you to where you are today is not going to get you to where you want to be. You have to develop new skills and new talents, and and uh, and it may be. You, we may, with cybersecurity, may be running into the same situation we did with Hewlett Packard. Uh, we had high, highly qualified tech people who all of a sudden were thrown into, into management roles. Uh, they had tremendous technical skills, but they really needed to ramp up management strategies very quickly. And it cost them a lot 
not to do that because Renee and ran in, Renee and I ran into this for years now. Um, what it cost somebody to replace somebody? What it cost to make a bad hire? What it cost to hire somebody who um, you're not part of what their dream is? And how do you do that? Yeah. That's that's a great, great point that you bring up. How How would you advise people to ensure that their dream and the dream of the organization that you're going to work with coincide um, for at least the, the first couple of years? Uh, the companies I've worked with, I always start out with the leaders of the CEO of the company. And, you know, if somebody's listening to this and says, I don't think I can do this, but I think it's valuable. You put me on a Zoom call with somebody and I'll tell them about it. There's no, there's going to be no fee for a consultation to find out what you need to have happen. But I start out by taking everybody out to 2025. I've said this for weeks now. Imagine for a moment, I give you a magic wand, you wave it and you're in 2025. What does that look like? Your kids are five years older, you're five years older. Are you closer to the position you want to be in the company? And then if the company is looking at 2025, if they're not, that's a major mistake. Because I know that with, with, with HP, for example, uh, my senior executives, these aren't people who ran countries and regions of the world, uh, would go to a, a, a client and say, tell me what you think your challenges are going to be five years from now. And they would say, well, we want to work with right now. I said, no, I need to know where you want to be. So I can help you identify anything that can derail you from getting there. That's a lot of what, you know, I mentioned on here that I, I do programs for golfers. And if somebody wants to look at golfinamindgame.com as a website, there's a video on it. It shows a beautiful golf course. And all of a sudden, garbage starts to float all over it. And the question is, well, nobody would play that golf course uh, with all the debris on it. However, what if that debris is invisible? A lot of the stuff that I deal with is invisible. You don't see it. You don't know that it's there. Right. That is very true. A couple of good comments here. And some folks we want to say good morning to Danielle. Good morning. She had a couple comments um, that I'm going to pop up in a second. Morning, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Namdi said he was the one that wrote the video that uh, created the video and the $84,000 mistake um, that companies are making when not being prepared for having ransomware attacks and other thing, other things. He said, sounds like a threat modeling exercise combined with input from the business, which I think it was to Chris's point that Chris made earlier. Um, Danielle says, getting buy-in from fiscal prior to a breach is harder than getting buy-in after a breach. And that always happens, you know, after the person breaks into your house, you're going to buy that system. You're going to get, you're going to get the security system now, you know, where you hem and haw beforehand. So. Danielle, if you can identify the individual, matter of fact, if you send me an email, I'll send you an individual personal profile and you can profile the decision maker in fiscal who makes the ultimate decision. Because I've seen pressure put on those people indirectly for huge amounts of money. Uh, but it's got to be done correctly. Because the person in fiscal uh, has to answer to somebody else. You may have to give them the language to answer to somebody else. 
And if it involves a lot, if it involves a lot of money, uh, it involves a risk or the development of your company, give me a call or talk to me about it on the phone. You know, it's, uh, it's that easy. Buddy says, unfortunately, cybersecurity hiring managers often believe degrees and certifications are indicative of the candidate's competency. So, Dan, definitely talk to this one because your competency model has absolutely nothing to do with degrees or certifications. Uh, no. I, as a matter of fact, if Buddy wanted to send me an email, I'd send him the competency model for Hewlett Packard. There's about 35 items for senior people and the way they used it. They really looked at what their senior executives, this is right under Carly Fiorina, uh, needed to do to perform at their best. And then they would give it to a, uh, an individual and they'd say, take a look down this list, check off what you do well, check off where you need help, and we'll give you help immediately. Let's ramp people up quickly. But I think the thing is, is that it's, uh, you know, um, it really takes time to uh, to address these issues. But you see, the thing is, <clears throat> and I've said this almost every day that we've done this, everybody on this call knows way, way more than they know that they know. You know an awful lot more than you know. And so it's difficult to take the risks that you're aware of and all the stuff that you see and transfer the threat over to somebody else who has to make a decision and their decision is only, I don't want to spend this kind of money. I don't know, but each situation is different. No two situations are, are the same. But my question is, is if you make, if you make a re recommendation to your company to take some action, what is it? Not what does it cost them to take the action? My question is what does it cost them not to take the action? And the question is, sometimes your success in a company is going to depend on your ability to, to shine a light on a risk that they don't see. See, one of the things is I've spoken to cybersecurity professionals for a long time. Renee and I have worked with them, and I've had private clients that do that. And they're aware of stuff that they, they take it for granted. One of the issues here, I think, that comes up a lot is, is unconscious competence. How do we uh, how do we have somebody understand how well they do what they do, and how to communicate that to somebody else, and how to communicate the cost of not doing it? You talked about earlier. You mentioned um, you know more than you think you know. What are some of the strategies that you've provided um, business leaders for truly assessing their the, the skills and competencies that they have so they have a better inventory of what they know? Um, that's a great question, Chris. What what I do is uh, I have on my website is a system. It's called a subscription page, but it talks, of, it outlines the whole system. It's really two parts. I send everyone an, an, a, a, a survey that takes them out to 2025. And it, tell me what 2025 looks like to you. What will get in your way? What do you do well? It's like a, uh, like it's a hybrid, fast track um, uh, model for somebody to identify what they do well. And then I have an online assessment, 30 minutes, uh, and it will give you uh, 
every single place that you can foul up going forward, um, both personally and managerially. Uh, but the point is, is that people need to identify what they do well. You know, uh, the, the uh, competent, you know, there's four levels of, of learning. Uh, unconscious incompetence where you don't know anything and you don't know you know don't know anything. And we run into those people all the time. They think they know stuff and they don't know it. The second level is conscious competence. I play blues guitar. I don't play a sax. Third level is conscious competence where you know what you're doing. You're going in and you're using your skills on a particular project. But in the middle of all of that, you people on the level of people who are on this call um, make decisions and come to conclusions just like that. Like a quarterback throws a pass to who he knows is going to receive it. Uh, like people make very quick decisions. I mean, I have a client who ran HP in New Zealand. He made a fortune for them in New Zealand. And I said, how did you do that? And he said, just being myself. I said, that's great if you're just by yourself. But if I'm coming to you and it's your responsibility to help me learn what you know, uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that when you're to answer the question, buddy's question, what type of approaches work to encourage senior leadership to adjust their hiring policies, practices when proposed from subordinate positions? Unfortunately, sometimes you can't do that. Somebody else has to tell them. And that, that's what that's the role I take with companies. Somebody will hire me and say, tell me what's working or what's not. And and, you know, uh, it's, it's easier to have somebody else deliver the message. Or, you know, but I would have to say, you'd have to profile the senior leadership. What do they want to have happen? I mean, I've seen that with companies. I work with a huge communication company. And uh, the CFO called me in and said, you know, the, the leadership here is crazy. We've got three owners, each one of them multimillionaires. They're running in different directions. Uh, the management of the staff is chaos. And uh, it's... Uh, it's just a, an unusual situation. So <clears throat> I said to them, okay, what do you, where do you all see this company in 2023? This a couple of years ago. And they said, uh, well, one guy said, I want to triple the size of the company. The second guy said, I want to cash out. And the first two, the other two guys said, what do you mean you want to cash out? And the third guy said, I want to move this company over to New Jersey where I can have a mansion like you two guys have. And so everybody had a different agenda. <laughs> You know, but, you know, so so it's important to have people to look at what they do and accept what they do as well. I just yeah. said to a client the other day, this guy runs a huge construction company. <laughs> I said to him, did anybody tell you why God made your arms so long? He says, no. <laughs> what kind of question is that? I said, because he wanted to make sure you had a long enough arm to pat yourself on the back from time to time. <laughs> but not to do that, you know? Yeah. And Dan, I, I mean, to answer, to add to your answer to Buddy, the mistakes part comes in here too. So, you know, when, when the, the, um, Dan would always say, you know, when do you, when's the right time to call me? When's the, when it talks, when you talk about approaches, 
Dan, you want to give him your... <laughs> Do I have your permission? <laughs> Go for it. It's so uh, funny. First time I met Renee, uh, I did this and she hasn't forgotten. I, somebody always says, okay, I'm in a situation. When do I call you? I said, I want you to imagine a big fan packed with wet manure and a guy with a plug by an outlet. I want you to call me before he puts the plug in the wall. So how, so how many times are you cybersecurity professionals getting called after the plug has been put in? Don't, yeah. don't put the plug in. But, you know, it's interesting. When I, when I talk to companies that, I'm, that are asking me to propose working for them or consulting with them, I talk to them about other people that I work with. That's why I'm willing to send out my mistakes list to you. Uh, the thing I hear a lot from people is the word sooner. I wish I called you sooner. I wish I called you before the $84,000 was gone out of my, out of my, uh, my bank account. How many, how many people that you're dealing with are actually rolling the dice? I have a, an employment attorney who's a client. And she said to me, I'm trying to get people to understand the risk of not having employee manuals. I said, okay, how are you doing that? She said, well, I explained to them the importance of the employee manuals. And then they, uh, but then they, they don't want to spend the money. I said, well, what, what does it cost? She says $29,000, $30,000 to do employee manuals for this company. I said, how much are the fines if right. the Department of Labor comes in? She said, 450000 500000 of fines. I said, oh, that's good. I said, why don't you try this? I said, take a set of dice. Everybody on this call, go out and buy a set of dice. Keep it in your pocket. And when you go to talk to somebody and they say, what are you proposing? Don't say a word. Take the dice out. Shake the dice. Throw them down the table. And when somebody said, what's that for? He said, you have a choice. You want to roll the dice on 84000 or not? Now, can you catch every attack? No. But the point is, is that when people start to become aware of that it's everybody's, I believe it's everybody's job to market your firm, whether you're a secretary, whether, you, whether, you're, whether you're mopping the floors, I don't care, whatever it is, it's everybody's job. And it's everybody's job to protect the firm, to protect information, protect data. People have to know how to do that. Yeah. You guys know how to do it. One of the things I would add, it's funny, someone reached out to me last week and they asked me about a very similar kind of question about adjusting hiring policies. And I was like, lawsuits, you know, <laughs> like the one way it gets done, it's because, you know, people think about their pockets. Think, you know, they think about at the end of the day, if to Dan's point, it's the late Department of Labor shows up and they find you $450,000, would it have made more sense to you know, hire someone for seventy-five or a hundred thousand dollars to take care of this problem before it gets to that point. So it's it's such a gamble. Um, the, the only, go ahead. I was gonna say the only the only problem with that that I have in this industry is that too many companies focus on the fair uncertainty and doubt, and they sell it like that. Um, I understand the 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 vision behind selling the mistake. I just don't want people to focus on selling that that fear, that uncertainty, and that doubt when you're doing it. Okay, I I I bring it down to the least common denominator. You were out out in the street with your kid, 
He said, I don't like to yell at children. I don't like to grab them by the scruff of the neck and pull them back in. But when a kid starts to run out into traffic, what do you do? Don't run in, don't run in traffic. What, every, what cybersecurity people are doing is saying to companies, don't run out in the street. Cross at the light. Look both ways. Yeah, I worked with a, a patent attorney, and he said to me, uh, I, I was helping some of his people with a pitch that they were trying to do. And a guy came in and he said, uh, you know, I, I can't get a patent on my product. And the guy who was my friend said, well, why not? He said, I was told I can't. He said, you're giving bad information. He said, I said, and you know, when I hear people come in and talk about inventions and innovations and things they have, I said to my lawyers, I said, I think you ought to get a T-shirt that says, don't talk to anybody. You know, you don't talk to anybody until you until your material is protected. Yeah. Namdi says, Dr. Dan just described the whole shift left concept with his analogy. I'm going to borrow it. Shameless <laughs> dealing. Go for it. <laughs> Shameless dealing. Uh, someone made a comment here. Why do you think clients... Uh, or companies are so scared of training promising individuals? They're worried for their job. Well, that that's a great question. It depends who in the company is scared of training promising individuals. Renee, have seen, Renee and I have seen this for 15 years. People that uh, put people in the positions that, that uh, don't threaten them. Yeah. Yep. They're worried for their own jobs. So the fact is, is that, you know, sometimes you can, and this is one of the things that this assessment that I use is refers, re, indicates very quickly, is are you somebody who without any intention threatens people? She also wants to know, this is Yamara, what is the name of the competency model mentioned? It was individually designed for Now, yeah. I would say that uh, everybody on this call could really sit down and make a competency model. What are the things that you need for somebody to have when they come in for a particular job? Is it cybersecurity? Is it always the cybersecurity technical expertise or is it interpersonal relationships? Is it how to relate to people within a company? Is it how to relate to the board of directors, to the CEO, to the CFO, the CISO? Who is it? Because, you know, this is not like painting a wall black or white. It's like, what do I need to have happen? Mm -hmm. Danielle says diversity and vision can be good as long as everyone is transparent. And I think she was talking about, Dan, your, your point with the three leaders going in different directions. Right. But you see, until we all sat down, they didn't realize what the internal feelings were of the people and what their direction was. I mean, one guy, one guy would, would berate somebody for throwing a paperclip away. He says, do you know who pays for those paperclips? I pay for the paperclips. And then it's what goes on in, in, in what's invisible, what dynamics are taking place behind the scenes that you can't see that if you knew about would be extraordinarily helpful to you moving your company forward. I mean, I'll retell the story. I had a had a, a guy who ran 
a division of HP in England. He designed a project that he needed to have um, 3 million one year and 10 million the next year to promote, to have uh, their CEO in Sundance Film Festival. And uh, he couldn't get the money. And he said to me, I just can't get the money. I can't get them to give me the money. So we profiled about seven or eight people in the company. And we found a one person we thought who was holding up the check and who could do it. And, and he said, the, one, the guy said to me, I already talked to her about this. She thinks it's a great idea, but whatever, she hasn't come through with the money. So I said, well, I said, why don't you just have somebody meet her at a water fountain and say, Kathy, we have a problem. He's going to say, what's the problem? She's, and you say, we just can't figure who's going to get the phone call. And she said, what phone call? She's a phone call from the CEO and she finds out she's not going to be in Sundance Film Festival because his money wasn't greenlighted four years earlier. They got the money in about two and a half months because the person didn't want that call. So it's finding out that one person in an organization has got the most to lose by not complying with the suggestions that you have or is willing to hire somebody who, without talking to Renee, who they constantly have to, uh, you know, rehire, look for somebody new, transition out. And the cost, I think the cost is, the last time I looked, it was six times somebody's annual salary to replace somebody on an executive level. It's unbelievable the cost of retaining or the, the cost of not, yeah. Cost of replacing them because you know, everybody says, well, it's only our advertising costs and fees for recruiters. It's not. It's all the effort that somebody has to put into taking a, a, an executive who's got a job to do away from that job to reintroduce or to, to mentor the person who's coming in. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, but you have the whole organization needs to adjust it. If there's a change of course, because a new executive comes in, they, they, they change a lot of things. Um, and then all the, all the loss, all the opportunity cost while they're looking for a new executive. Oftentimes that's not considered. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things, you know, what you talked about, Chris is momentum. I mean, one of the things that's important to me in working with somebody is momentum and consistency. You know, once you get the, you have to keep the momentum going. Somebody says, I'm just going to stop for a minute. No, you don't stop. When you stop, you start to slide backwards. You slide backwards. And what you have to be thinking about is somebody else moving in a direction you want to be going in. And that happens frequently. Because conversion today is huge. Conversion and poaching is some of the big issues that I come up with with companies. How do you convert somebody from another provider to you? And how do you prevent people from poaching your business? And that, that, that's a strategy. That's not just happened by accident. It's not organic. Let's wait and see. Let's give it a couple of months. Let's see what, no. You need, if there's an obstacle, it's important to find that obstacle very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, had, I had a guy I was helping with negotiation strategies, real estate developer, and he said to me, uh, I'm a 12 handicap golfer. He said, I can't play well 50 yards in on a golf course. So we kind of flipped over. I started working on his golf game with him. What we discovered very quickly was that he could not play well when he played against somebody who made more money than he did. 
who would have, I made high seven figures, who would ever think? But you never know. So if there's something in the way, if somebody, if an individual is doing everything that they possibly can and they're not getting where they want to go, then I think it's worth an investment to figure out what's in the way. And to make it clear that what I, I am not a therapist. This is all individual. <laughs> this is all individual personal strategy. Dan, that's so powerful. I think that um, for anyone that's been on here, I see some new folks. So really excited that Dan has worked with uh, CEOs and CXOs, so different C-suite executives in Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 companies, as well as professional athletes and student athletes. So a lot of things Dan talks about is around the um, strategies and techniques that he's used with those especially the athletes, because the decisions they have to make are so fast um, and translate that onto over to business. So, um, you know, some of these things are just so powerful. Go ahead, Dan. Now that, that was one of the things I was talking to somebody about the, the other day. You know, he had a kid who was really an incredible hockey goaltender. And he said he's freshman in high school, but uh, he's absolutely terrible in the classroom. He, he doesn't study. He doesn't apply himself. And I said, you know, there's a trifecta for anybody on here who has a student or aspires to have a kid who's a student athlete. There's a trifecta on field performance, academic excellence, and off field behavior. I take care of the last two. The coaches take care of the on field performance. But, you know, uh, it becomes interesting when somebody looks at this and says, what gets in somebody's way? So I said, the uh, father of this kid said he retained me to work with the kid. And I do this. I, I have reduced fees for student athletes. And all, but I said to the kid, I said, so what's going on? He said, my parents are up my butt for my grades. Now he's a freshman in high school. I said, well, I said, don't worry about that. I said, your parents make no difference. He says, well, who makes a difference? I said, the college coach who's looking at you right now to recruit you, but doesn't know if you can stay academically eligible. <laughs> he didn't realize that that was a big factor. Mm -hmm. you know. And one of the things that have been commented on, and people want to contact me and talk to me about you incorporated, I see every individual, every person on this call, every student athlete as a CEO of his own company. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you have to think about it? When you get a young person who buys into that concept, then they realize that every decision they make is a business decision. It's not a social decision. What you eat, what you drink, what you smoke, what you're seen with, who takes your picture. You know, and I, yeah, I think what you just said about the college coach looking at the, the students transcripts or their grades, how, really sinks in with your, your your 2025 dream message because it's not about the grades right now. It's about where they want to be. And if they can't get the grades, they can't be where they want to be in in their dream. Right. But no, you see, nobody tells them that. I, I, had, I had a kid who uh, had a lacrosse scholarship, uh, had, was asked to mentor a new kid coming in the kid had gotten in some trouble at a frat party. They had a, They said they had to suspend this lacrosse player. 
And the coach said to me, would you talk to the kid? I said, yeah. I said, how could you possibly screw up your business like this? He said to me, well, I don't have a business. He said, I'm a college freshman playing lacrosse. I said, well, how much is your scholarship? He says, $35,000 a year. I said, anybody who's getting paid $35,000 a year has got a business. He said, you know, nobody ever told me that. So it's getting people to realize that, you know, I, for, for people in the tech world, you know, I am not. Ask anybody on this call. I'm not, I'm not, you have no threat to me. My, my. <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I did this program for 95 of the country's top hockey goaltenders. And I said to them, how many of you guys on social media? And they, oh, yeah, we're on Facebook, we're on Facebook, Facebook. They said, what do you think of Facebook? I said, to me, Facebook is like herpes. <laughs> what you put on there never comes off. But nobody is ever going to recruit you without looking on your Facebook page, social media. And there's somebody who says, I'm really a good kid. I'm a good student. I'm a good whatever I am. But I like to blow things up on weekends. No, I don't think. <laughs> but again, it's, it's helping kids to understand that every decision they make is a business decision. And how easy it is to screw yourself up. Just look at the back pages of the of the your local tabloid paper. But what goes on with athletes? I mean, I see it I see it a lot on even on LinkedIn, which is so surprising. I see these these fights that people have. Sometimes they're political, all these various things that I say to myself, if you were, you know, A, the CEO of your own company, but B, just being an employee an employee inside of an organization, would you, if you were at an, in an office setting, would you be yelling with your colleague about this? You know, I think people don't even realize that what they put online, they don't take, they don't, they don't have that context to think like, if I was offline, would I be having this conversation in this setting with these people for the world to hear and see for my boss to look at for all these people to see? It's, it's unbelievable. I, I not to men not to mention the 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 comments that they feel that won't ever go public where they're sexually <laughs> harassing and soliciting people um on LinkedIn much less like ser seriously like this will go public it's just it's just amazing what people what people will do and say you know yeah. I, had, I had a client who said to me you know I'm sick and tired of my management team my manager, my director, my board, he said, I'm going to go in and tell them what I think and all. And I said, do me a favor, put the pin back in the hand grenade and call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people start, they, they start going off on tangents. It's like, whoa, you know, ch you, you, you put it, you're putting something out here. It fascinates me. It totally fascinates me when I see these Twitter fights and LinkedIn fights and going back and forth in topics that if you were sitting in an office, I know, I cannot imagine like in all the offices that I've been in where this is a big topic of conversation with a whole, you know, your CEO, anybody that's on LinkedIn or anybody on the uh, internet can see this stuff and hear it. Um, so, and then and you find now that they're going back 30 years for something somebody said. You know what you said 30 years ago? Now we're coming after you for that. So it's crazy. Yeah. But it's a reality. And, you know, so it's once again the mistakes people make. 
I wish I didn't put that in, you know, I'm sorry I did that. Oops, oops doesn't work today, particularly with cybersecurity. Oops, no, not oops. Right. Wait, is that how I ended up with a kid? <laughs> so Dan, I know we have to get, we have to, um, we're at almost 45 minutes um, and we both have to, or all three of us, I think have to run. So, Chris, do you want to chime in with the last couple questions? Sure. Uh, so, so Dan, we, we talked about mistakes before they happen. Um, if you had to summarize all your advice, other than calling you, um, what would you recommend that people do? I think everybody on this call is sitting on a very valuable tool. They're sitting on a mistakes list that they have seen other people make before they came to them. Start to put them down. If at some point in time I have an opening on a program to interview you, if that would help you, uh, we could certainly talk about that. But it's important because when you turn around to somebody, you could say to them, don't do this, don't do that, don't do something else. And they don't listen to that. But if you could say, let me give you a list of mistakes my clients made before they became my client. Take a look at this mistakes list. And if there's anything on here, any mistakes you want to make that after I give you this list, you continue to make, please call somebody else. My reputation can't handle it. <laughs> and I, I like would that. add that for, for hires too. So if you're yeah. thinking about it's, it's clients internal, it's clients external clients. So selling a service or, or a product, internal clients or future position, you know, future opportunities that people are going for because Dan and I have been working a lot with people in transition recently and it's the same kind of method sharing with them. Go ahead, Dan. You know, when what, the biggest issues that have come up is somebody will say, I'm going in for an interview to interview for a position or I'm planning on interviewing for a position. What questions do you need to ask before you go into the interview? What questions do you need to be talking? How much do you need to know about the interviewer before you ask the question? How, how much does the interviewer impact on how much juice do they have to help you or not? Uh, maybe you, all you need to do is get to the next level and the next level and the next level. So, you know, but, but that, that's really what becomes important here. Yeah. Danielle said, please call someone else. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> like, reputation on the line, not interested in being a part of this. Exactly. Well, folks, thank you so much, Dan. We really appreciate your time once again, Chris, and everyone with all these awesome comments, especially all these new people. We're seeing tons of new people this week. Super excited that you're here. Please continue to join us every Monday at 11 for Mondays with Dan. Well, and let them contact me if they want to. Yep, contact Dan. He's totally open and flexible. If you need his information, reach out to me. His website is on the is in the um in the chat or not in the chat in the um description in, the, in a, exactly in the description. All right, folks, <laughs> I'm losing it this morning. <laughs> Have a good day. Bye. We'll see you. Bye, everybody. See you next week.
in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. Your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.